Welcome to Israel Tech. I'm excited that I'm joined here today by Demi Benari, the CTO and co-founder of Panarays. We're in the Panarays office in Tel Aviv. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Yoel. Awesome. So tell us, Panarays, how exactly did it come about? What made you decide you and your team to co-found it? Okay, uh, going back, I would say it's like almost 18 years right now. <laughs> it actually started from the military service that uh, all three co-founders uh, uh, we served at the same unit. Uh, it was uh, it's called OFEC. It's the software unit of the Israeli Air Force. Uh, we knew each other back in 2016 when we founded the company for around 10 years. Uh, Matan Orel and Meir Antar are my two co-founders. And uh, of course, due to the history of what we've done in the past and uh, how we actually you know work together, uh, we understood that we want to build something together. And uh, we started uh, Panarays over like almost seven and a half years ago. Did you know what you wanted to build or the three of you were close through the army and you just said, let's build something together and then you went and decided? Or did, did the idea of Panarays come to you? And we'll discuss that solution momentarily. Of course. And then you got, how did it, how exactly does it come about? Because I think the way co-founders come together in Israel is obviously very unique, right? You guys met in the army as yeah. an example. So maybe if you can tell us about the story of how you guys came together, maybe how you developed that relationship the importance that is into founding and building Panarays, which is very successful. Um, if you can kind of walk us through that and really how the idea came to be. Okay, so it actually started from, uh, I would say, the, the core of a lot of Israeli entrepreneurs that they like to build things, okay? Solve uh, complicated problems and also uh, tackle challenges that are, uh, I would say, maybe impossible a lot of times, okay? So it starts from that uh, striving to build things. And of course, we knew each other, so that type of relationship like you have in the US maybe with Ivy League colleges and people knowing each other, it's sort of similar to the age range in which people meet each other in the military and then afterwards evolve with some kind of a relationship. I served for eight years, so we think that it's a really substantial uh, uh, period of time that you get to know people, right? right. You get to understand, of course, what are your skill sets and uh, develop that aspect also in technology and building stuff, so it's pretty straightforward. And especially tackling that problem of third-party security and how it affects relationship between companies, it actually is something that evolved between a combination of an idea that Matan had had and also Meir and myself. And the funny thing that Meir and I, we founded the Ofek Alumni Association. Okay, uh, Matan and myself were both Mamram graduates, which is an elite programming course of six months that you do prior to the military and learn a lot of stuff. What do you learn? Uh, everything from basic programming to advanced high-level languages, infrastructure, security. You b learn basically how to learn. And then ah. when you eventually go to the, the specific it's like unit, It's like the yeshiva of the army. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the, the fundamentals of, of software and software engineering and a lot of times even hardware sometimes. And uh, when you get to the military, you specify in a specific field. Okay, so basically what I did in the military, I built a missile defense system. Okay, whatever like communicates with the Iron Dome and also like does a lot of stuff in sirens when people go to bomb shelters. So yeah, I'm the annoying person to actually blame with some, in some sort. So that whole aspect gives you a lot of like wide, broad skill set of how to deploy platforms, like literally create systems that are robust and uh, production ready, I would call that. And that happens when you're like, I don't know, 18, 18 and a half. And from that prism, when it all combined, uh, in an evening that we actually like understood that we want to build something together, the regular like uh, founders agreement and moving forward and building something that again, of course, we have a context, context and a problem. It's so much easier. Right. So w when was that? 
uh, we started the company in 2016. Okay. And you and said this was an evening. You said you guys. Yeah, it was an w- evening. That where were you my... physically? Was this the bar? Was this the yeah, army? Yeah, it was. was this... It was a kind of an assembly of the alumni association founders. Okay, Mayor and myself are among uh, nine people. So we spoke with each other about the problems and what we want to do in the next uh, career phase. Mayor uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel. And uh, I was afterwards in the private market already working in a different company called Windward, another Israeli company that actually IPO'd uh, a few years ago. And uh, we spoke with each other. We understood that we want to build something. There was a really good opportunity of like availability of all of us. And we went through to start a company uh, around a problem. Amazing. So tell us about the problem that you guys were able to define mm-hmm. and then how you decided to solve it. Because I'm sure sitting there, your guys could probably think of many problems. So maybe you could tell us maybe in general what some of those problems were and why you specifically chose this problem to yeah. go and pursue to solve. Cool. So as you would assume, there are hundreds or maybe even thousands of cyber companies that emerge from Israel, okay? Some of them really successful, some of them less, and some of them still, you know, building themselves to be uh, the next uh, huge company that comes out of uh, uh, cyber. And the problem that we tackled actually emerged from business. Meaning going uh, years back, I would say like 20, 30 years back, the whole aspect of interacting with third-party entities to provide your services was something that is really common in the financial world, right? Uh, Dun & Bradstreet, Moody's, S&P 500, all of the credit scoring and benchmarking. When you're doing business with somebody, you want to know that they go, don't go bankrupt tomorrow, right? And you still can be able to provide your services because you're reliant on third-party entities to provide your own product and sell it to your customers. Evolution, of course, due to the fact that everything became digital in the past like 15, 20 years, everything is super rapid also in the matter of uh, kind of evolving and uh, adopting new technologies. If it's uh, bare bones SaaS, okay, or AI or other stuff that actually emerged, the cybersecurity threat emerged. Okay, and eventually your perimeter had expanded from your data center and everybody were security in the data center to all of the third party services that you're using practically for anything. So today, even you guys, right, to provide your services, you're using at least dozens, maybe even hundreds of SaaS services, giving away all of your uh, most confidential information, right, your customer pipeline, everything. And it's by the responsibility of another entity that you can't By even many audit. other entities. Of course, but I'm looking on the right. personal relationship that you have with a, a certain one. So eventually, hackers would go to the weakest link in the chain, hack that company, maybe to you know go into your company or let's look on the larger enterprises when you have thousands and tens of thousands. And we have some customers that have hundreds of thousands of third parties. And third parties can mean a lot of stuff. It's not only vendors. It also might be subsidiary companies of yours, right? It might be a product ecosystem that you've created that eventually other entities develop plugins to your uh, you know, like internal platform. So there is a really vast risk right now that comes in the domain of cybersecurity and somebody needs to create a process to actually mitigate that risk. So this is again the SaaS platform that we've created at Panarays that helps to uh, all customers from all sizes to uh, kind of engage in a secure manner to, do, to be able to do business. So Panarese has grown successfully. Um, what, what are probably some of the core elements of the culture or the team that has let you build it from the ground up and be able to scale it to where it is the point is now? Sure. 
I think it starts from something really fundamental also in how Israel was built. Okay, I know it sounds uh, huge, but eventually even myself, I came to Israel when I was almost seven. Okay, I came from Georgia, uh, the country, not the state in the US. And uh, I come from a certain culture, a certain uh, way of looking on things. And especially it's a different type of country. And when I came here uh, in the beginning of the 90s, together with my family, we were at what's called Olim. Okay, and a lot of people here are considered Olim from various times uh, in which the country actually existed. You're speaking of one. Yeah, so it's not, it's not surprising. Everybody in some generation, it might be your parents or your grandparents, but eventually they were also Olim because the country was founded back in like 1948, okay? The, the actual like state of Israel. I'm not saying about the people that actually lived here for right. you know, thousands of years. But when it, it actually was formed, all the people wanted to combine and it created something really, really special in my opinion, okay? The inherent diversity in which people actually exist here and the fusion of different cultures and you would find somebody that came from, you know, like a Western or Eastern Europe and people that came from the Middle East and other related countries uh, create something that is really special that actually is really fruitful also for building stuff, okay? Because you're combining the great abilities of all countries to provide some kind of, you know, facilities to build a country and look how fast it had been built, right? Right. So this is the amazing thing and it reflects to everything in the country, meaning the military service is an example, okay? It's something that is mandatory. Everybody when they hit like around 18, because, you know, it, it can be even a bit earlier or maybe even later if they do another type of service uh, after uh, to, to, to society because they do some stuff like that, you create sort of like a fusion mechanism that inherently you put really, really diverse people, okay, from all cultures and, uh, you know, different kinds of religions also, because you have Muslims, Jews, and Christians also, like, serving in the IDF, which is kind of crazy also, if you think of it, that are trying to build stuff together to save, you know, like, uh, to keep the country safe, okay, keep the borders. And you can see that this is an amazing thing of a brotherhood that is connected through that. And from that, a lot of great stuff uh, emerged. Like uh, me and my, uh, my co-founders, when we met in the military, what do you think that happened, especially when we brought the R&D, okay? It's a lot of other people that we've worked with for years. And this is, again, I won't say it's a hack, but eventually it happens due to psychology and how people actually re react, okay? Because people want to work with good people. It's not something that is really, really surprising. So think of it that the, even the initial connection and building the business and building the product and doing stuff together for good happens inherently because you've done that also in the past when you were a child and then in the military, right? Uh, usually people serve for around like two and a half, three years, right? We all served for a much longer period of time. I'm myself for eight years, Matan for six, Maya for 25 years, <laughs> he retired. And it's kind of different than when you take that and actually create a fusion mechanism that does good, a lot of other good stuff actually come out of it. Do you think Israel would be both culturally and from a tech perspective in the private sector, mm -hmm. and I guess by the military, uh, if people served longer, let's say if instead of two to three years, maybe it was four years was the minimum service, mm -hmm. how do you think that would affect the output of Israeli technology both via the government and military, and then afterwards in the private sector, like you have done with your co-founders? Mm -hmm. So I think it should be a mix of the both, okay? Because it can't be that 
by serving more time and getting more experience and gaining more experience will yield better stuff. Because again, military is a sort of, sort of type of organization with a certain, I would say, way and mentality that not everybody fits there, okay? And I'm saying that I could have stayed in the military for 30 years. It was easy, okay? Because easy meaning I loved it and I do reserve duty and all of us do reserve duty for many, many decades afterwards, okay? But the whole aspect of doing stuff, I think for every person, it should reflect to something that is subjective to whatever they can do to create the biggest impact. So if an example, I feel that my biggest impact for good will be in the military and staying there, not even about the money, you know, how much you earn there. I think this is the most substantial driver for many people to actually strive in their own profession. Okay, and if I believe that in the private sector, I can contribute much more. And I really feel that also, like by founding a company, creating uh, places of work to people, bringing investments from abroad also, from various places, bringing business to Israel, actually helps society and also the economy. Uh-huh. Amazing. Okay. So you that helped you kind of culturally from the army and from you growing up, mm -hmm. and that diversity has really helped you uh, and helped Panarays. How have you been able to scale Panarays and grow? Maybe mm -hmm. we can uh, talk more about your technology, what you've been sure. able to solve and to grow, because it's very hard for a startup to grow. Uh, yeah, like I told you, like in the beginning, I think uh, kind of entrepreneurship is on the verge of... Uh, creating something that is impossible because all of the odds are against you, okay? Right. All of the larger companies has more resources, they have more funds, and of course, customer, larger customer base. So, and you know, like startup failure rates are really, really high, right. okay? You don't hear about all of the ones that failed, you hear right. about the successes. Right. But eventually that whole drive to create value, I think it starts from that. It helps us also. Like eventually starting and uh, creating an initial team with a really small fundraising round uh, that, that kind of like to start building something. And there are a lot of other companies that start bootstrap. That's one way to do that. And of course, by the traction, by the connections, by all of the relationships that you already have, you start the initial like solving the problem for somebody. It can be even with combining various pieces of technology, okay? Because somebody has an expertise in cyber, created something. Somebody has an expertise in AI, combining both to provide something that is much more efficient and again, to help a company to drive their own business, this is the initial phase. And that's actually how we grew. So we grew it by firstly, like adding people that we trust to build something together. And everybody took the kind of a hit to their own, uh, I would say compensation plans, etc. when you're looking on the broader sense of uh, making money, okay, as a person. And afterwards, after we've created the initial MVP, the minimal viable product to, to provide the solution to the problem, then you build on top of that. Uh, raise the seed founding round with Aleph. Uh, Aleph VC is one of the uh, best VCs here in Israel. And once we've actually grown that phase and uh, enlarged our customer base, okay, to the dozens, it was much easier to actually go to the United States and actually raise more money to grow the company, et cetera, right? So we, uh, we were joined by Oak VC, um, and it's, it's focused also in the cyber, fintech world, et cetera. And as we grew the company, we brought in more partners that we really love. As an example, okay, advisory board members. Uh, we were joined by Len Bess. Uh, he's 
the former CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Yeah. Okay. He actually like IPO'd the company. He was the CEO of Zscaler. Another great is partner it, to the business. Is that why you brought him on strategically thinking, hey, we want to go IPO one day? What was your, uh, what, first or all, how, how did you, first of all, how did you connect? Because he's not Israeli, right? Uh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you can talk us a little bit about, because um, for the Israeli technology startups wanting to learn how that they have customers in Israel. Now they need to really prove themselves, need to go globally. sell abroad mm -hmm. globally where they don't have the, such close connections where to get in the army or like, you know, I'm married to your sister or that kind of I thing. I think it's better. Which happens in Israel, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, so maybe you can talk a little about that leap and how you're able to bring in an ash, an, a, a team that can help you grow. Yep. Uh, whether partners, board members, uh, sure. other investors and VCs. Sure. So I really look at everybody as real partners of ours, okay? And this is the way I think every entrepreneur should look on every person that is involved in this journey. Lane was, was a funny example of him actually like being here for an occasion. I met him face to face, we then connected and it was a long relationship that we had formed together. And we saw like the same vision of what we're building, okay? Of course, he's not here, he's like not writing code or something like that, but he had built massive sales organizations. He had done that past, like in the past with various companies and the largest ones, you, you see that Palo Alto is one of the largest cybersecurity companies in the world today, okay? Zscaler also, et cetera. And right now he's the CEO of another company. So this is a type of partner that I want to take his experience, right? Besides the point that I love him as a person, okay? Right. Put that aside and build something together with him with his guidance also. But he, his time and is so valuable. Mm -hmm. And there are so many other people, cybersecurity right. founders, that want his time. Mm -hmm. So how are you able to, let's say, I don't know, secure a meeting, get that introduction, mm -hmm. and why did he decide to give that time to Panarays as opposed to the hundreds, thousands of others right. that, that would be relevant, that he could be beneficial to? So I, I think the basic thing, like I began speaking about that, is relationship. I actually met him without a formal introduction or anything. I just shook his hand and said a sentence. What'd okay? you say? Uh, something about founders. I, I heard a lecture that he gave. He said something about building a team, etc. And I told him, hi, Lane, my name is Demi. Uh, I really liked what you said about partners because I really feel that this is the type of relationship that I have with my own partners. Can I have a business card? And that's it. That was it, uh huh? It's kind of ridiculous to say, I know. And it then you spam them on LinkedIn, an email. Uh, <laughs> no, you'd be surprised. It's really, really nice. He answered my email and we got a relationship uh, and we built that relationship. And again, I, I really felt that he can help us to build a company like other partners from the VCs that actually joined the board of directors, right? right? Even Amichai Shulman, that was the, he's on the board of directors since the beginning of the company. One of our most trusted advisors, he was the CTO of Imperva. Okay, another huge cybersecurity company that was IPO'd and also like sold, and he has his own startup company. And really, I'm not saying I'm the smartest uh, person, best developer, or anything like the best salesperson. I learn from the best people in the industry, and that's what you have in Israel, and I think is really, really special. And you asked about the, what makes the difference between you and all of the hundreds of uh, other founders? I don't know, relationship, people. It boils down to people. So eventually, probably he had a good relationship with me. And even myself, right now, I'm on the advisory board of startup companies and helping the ecosystem do a lot of mentorship and accelerators and startups. And it, it basically boils down to I want to invest my time to help good people that I really like working with. Right. It starts from that, not even the financial benefit. And Lane also like invested in the company. So right. 
right? I would hope so. Yeah. So <laughs> eventually, it's it's a form of trust. And then you spoke about the global expansion, etc. Like the connections we have, I think it's even better to prove yourself abroad in which people do not know you. Okay, in the beginning, at least you're sort of like a no-name. And if you can sell something and provide value when you're a no-name, when you're not Microsoft or like Google or something like that, when it's a known brand, you surpass a certain barrier, okay? In which you've proven that you can create something that provides value and somebody is willing to pay for that. And I think this is the real basic fundamentals of building substantial business. So you're talking a lot about networking and being able to find good partners, mm -hmm. um, especially in the United States, um, people are on your board and a little bit about VCs. Maybe we'll talk more about that later. But then bringing people inside in the company, you need all kinds of different talent and skills, you know, from product to marketing. Mm -hmm. How are you able to actually find, assemble, network a team? And I know being able to do that in, in the Israeli industry is very different from the rest of the world. Right. And maybe you can speak to that. Yeah. I think we actually started from, again, explaining that sort of how all of these relationships are formed. Okay. When I look in the military and other uh, related people that came from various places in the world and actually were connected through the being Israeli. Okay. It also started a really condensed community of people that are related to product, to R&D in the beginning. And once we actually started growing larger scale companies that actually grew from Israel, also on the commercial aspect. So that connection, that ecosystem that was created here is really, really condensed. You don't see that in any other place in the world. Okay. And I've been right in the US with uh, this in Silicon Valley, seeing the communities. I also founded the develop, uh, like a really large developer community in the world of big data and AI, uh, around like 6,500 people plus. Okay, globally spread. So, and again, most entrepreneurs are doing something like that, some kind of involvement in uh, either a community that they formed or a part of. And I have a ton of groups of CTOs that I'm a part of, and actually we're creating combination of all of our abilities. So this is the networking that you're creating, okay? And even there are a lot of outspoken people like myself, I, I have my own podcast called Connecting the Dots, due to the fact that this is the way that I learn stuff, mm -hmm. okay? And by that being the, I would say, routers or maybe connectors, this whole uh, behavior, I think, drives that whole ecosystem, okay, to be able to create these connections. And I'll give you an example during even this conflict right now. All the people are connected. It's literally a phone call away from getting an ability. So especially right. when I have a need of some sort, and especially all of the initiatives that came out of this whole like bad thing that happened to the to, to the country and to the nation, I would call that even the, the larger globally spread, people really united. Okay, literally every initiative that had emerged, if it's like uh, people needing rescue and rescuers. It was a combination of Ami, the, the former, uh, the CEO of the, the former company that I worked at at Windward. Uh, basically, I got a call, help me with security. Okay, it was that. And then our uh, one of the directors of our board was on that team also. So it's everybody knows each other. So like creating something is pretty easy. Everybody brings from their expertise, right? If it's on the operational aspect, etc. And in days, you had something up and running with the biggest industry experts that are helping in the effort and i'm not speaking about myself i'm the you know stupid one there okay everything was up and running and there was a service that used to take usually sometimes a year to build this is like unheard of most of the times okay and everybody are super focused and laser focused to achieve that goal so how much is that 
people-based and community-based and we're like one tight family. Mm -hmm. And how much of that being able to speed things up have to do with the, the technology and obviously AI can really speed things up. But I'm sure they both played a part and they yep. regularly do. And both of those are very unique to Israeli culture. Mm -hmm. um, how much would you assign to probably the network effect, the, anything we can do to help, and how much would you assign to the technology being able to do so much in such a short period of time? Okay, I won't say that you can develop uh, cutting-edge technology in days, okay? But the combination of both, meaning the people, the industry experts that create on a daily basis these types of pieces of technology, the networking around that that can, uh, I would say, combine abilities, you know, one plus one equals three, that whole, like, ability with this ecosystem is amazing. And you can create unimaginable things to solve problems. And that whole focus of taking a problem, solving that, and again, going back to all of the wars of Israel, it was us facing something that is usually something that will eradicate us, and we prevailed, okay? And going back, if you go in history, you have a, a celebration afterwards of people eating. So that's why the Israeli people After this tend, tend lunch, to be fat. Yes. By the way. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of funny also to mention that eventually this whole like combination of abilities and especially when you're looking on AI that improves efficiency and the whole domain of cybersecurity being an expertise of the Israeli companies, securing that, right? Because there is a firm combination today with the evolution and the velocity of how AI grows to the cybersecurity threat that emerged from that. This is also intercombined with false information, other stuff of uh, data poisoning of AI models, etc because it's a new field and like everything with the new field that comes in the world of technology and evolves really, really rapidly, you have a lot of security vulnerabilities that are introduced, like networking. In the right. past, you had like your own data center. Right. It expanded to the web. You had a ton of vulnerabilities that were introduced, right? And potential threat of adversaries. So how do you, how do you protect? So adversaries are going to look for the weakest link. You've talked about that. And often you think you have your stuff together, but Anyone can plug anything in your computer. You can have any kind of supplier, yep. anything you can, anything from the cloud, and especially you can have probably thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to who like it, how like it? It seems like impossible. Almost. No, am I mistaken? I feel um, like... Okay, I'll say something. Without proper automation and also a classification and prioritization, you can't create anything. Because right now, think of it that every small company in the world today has the dozens or maybe even the lower hundreds of third-party interactions to provide their business, okay? And most of the times, you even don't know how to answer that simple question of who are my third-party interactions. So that's how we actually help with the technology, with uh, auto-discovery, the hacker point of view in which we identify all of the services and the vulnerabilities. This is the engine deep tech that we've created in the world of cyber. Combining that with all of the AI abilities of classification, the whole machine intelligence aspect of being on top of a lot of security information and providing the insights uh, that uh, you know can be yielded to also uh, put a lot of like automatic mechanisms that will help us as if we had a battalion of people with many uh, kind of like much less resources in that aspect. So when you combine both right now with helping that like initial simple question, who are my third party interactions and understanding the context of how you're working with that entity helps you also to know how to mitigate proper cybersecurity risk. Okay, so that's exactly what we're doing at Fenrix. 
we're helping customers from the you know smallest companies, tech companies, fast moving, etc., to the largest enterprises and supply chains in the world, like TSMC. Okay, they make like ninety eight percent of the chips in the world. This is like crazy. I know. Okay, that's no, gonna change. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully not. I don't know. I don't want to take that in that direction. Hopefully it will be peace. But uh, but yes. So eventually, by helping all these organizations there's a network effect that is created, okay? Because, again, our vision in the company is to be on every business transaction in the world today and form the cyber trust between all of the entities and helping everybody to improve their own security posture. I know it sounds like a really huge thing, but eventually I really believe that this is what we're creating, the value, the real value that we're creating. So wait, so how, how, let's talk about the actual technology, right? Yes. So I don't have control over what my, the third party you software and suppliers. Okay, so, and you come in if I were to hire you, mm -hmm. right? If I were to hire Panarays, you still can't control them even through you. Right. So is it the touch point, the connect? Explain to me how about the technology that you're able to mm -hmm. protect me from the outside sure. world. So firstly, uh, we took the approach of understanding the type of relationship that you have with that entity. Type of relationship means, first of all, how it's plugged to your internal platforms and systems and workflows and program that you have to actually provide your solution. That's one. So the context meaning uh, how they're connected, what type of authorization and authentication mechanisms they have to your own internal company, what type of information you're passing to them, how uh, long can you withstand without like using that service? Maybe you need, uh, you know, uh, kind of like redundancy to that service, et cetera. And understanding the full broad supply chain and also downstream supply chain. This is the first initial thing that we help with the matter of automatic technology that recognizes that. After you understood that, we created deep tech in the world of cyber that can understand from the external without installing anything, okay? A pretty broad understanding of the cybersecurity posture of that third-party entity, how it actually protects your data, right? Or the access to your own internal organization. And combining that with availability or lack of availability, if that service is down and gets hacked, okay? You can actually minimize the risk and minimize the exposure if you have proper mechanisms to know how to mitigate and to know who to communicate with. As an example, the CISO, risk manager or something like that, that actually has the relationship right now with the vendors or the third party CISO. Right now, if they are on the same platform, they can communicate in a single language. And I don't mean English, I mean Panarays, okay? Right. And then you can understand the scope of things or how you're working with that relationship. You can filter out all of the noise, okay? And then pinpoint about really what's relevant and how they can protect your data when you're interacting. So if you were selling, let's say, to an enterprise or an SMB, mm -hmm. and so they're now using Panarays to protect mm -hmm. them from third-party risk, that means they're now going to communicate with their third party on Panarays. Yeah, on the platform. So and since about the third part, since just the way mm -hmm. the money goes, the third party has no choice but to do communicate. They want to. They want to, but maybe they have, let's business. say, um, another company that does things similar. They'd rather work with them, or they haven't, or or is there a learning? I'm sure there's a learning curve and all that. I agree. So, so yeah, go ahead. they will work with all, okay, because they want to drive business. They would rather work with a more efficient one that actually saves time ah. and is the most accurate and precise. Also, when they're showing actual findings, because eventually you don't want to, you know, go over a wild goose chase on top of vulnerabilities that do not like reflect anything on your business, although they actually exist or something like that, or even false positives, because this right. is annoying. You don't want to waste a lot of your efforts. And sometimes 
they do not have the resources to actually mitigate. So this is also a portion of what actually Paneries uh, helps to simplify whatever is needed to be done. So by creating that whole efficient workflow of interaction between companies, and it's bi-directional, it's the auditor, the regular customer of Panarays that helps uh, the business owner to onboard the third party entity and actually continuously monitor that, that's one. And also helping the vendors, the third parties, to do business in an efficient manner in, by, in the other direction of being able to show their own security posture in a secure manner, uh, show that they're really like okay with their practices and they can be trusted. And I think trust is the whole like bare bone of all of these interactions because eventually we want to form the cyber trust between all of the entities involved. How, how do you do that? Communication. <laughs> Communication sounds, like Sounds everything. like herding cats. Yes, you are right. But eventually by being transparent and communicating and this... I think goes back to the whole like communication and network and community and uh, speaking about the facts, telling the truth and being transparent and fixing things. The whole mentality is exactly what we've implemented in the platform to be able to leverage these abilities between our customers, their third parties, and eventually being, you know, the third parties are indirect customers of ours also. So you, you talk about like partnerships, being able to partner between the CISOs of your clients and their third-party suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk about also building a good diverse team, diversity and experience to really help build patterns. Mm -hmm. So what other partnerships do you think are necessary in order to, to build patterns and for, you to, for sure. those looking to build companies themselves? Cool. Okay, so a portion also of my role right now as the CTO of Panarays is actually building the tech alliances and different kinds of partnerships that can yield firstly like benefit to our existing customers and also of course to grow the business and expand our business globally. Okay, and this not evolves only around sales. It is a derivative out of it. But the whole relationships portion that you've mentioned is really key to understand what's in it for everybody meaning what's in it for the larger company right now that I will be interacting, what's in it for the customer value-based, right? To create that whole like portion of interacting with the third parties in the most efficient manner and helping the masses, the millions of third parties that are interacting with the platform itself. That whole ecosystem is creating something. And again, you, would, you can see how many huge cybersecurity companies emerged from Israel and also the acquisitions of global companies of Israeli cyber companies to expand their suite. There are a ton of, okay, not a ton, there are a lot of cybersecurity suite companies, okay, that eventually end up of helping the larger enterprises. I would say that even, you know, I want to build the biggest company in the world that actually helps in the widest range of cybersecurity aspects. But eventually think of it, if we take our ability and take a company like Palo Alto or Microsoft or Google or something like that, that has hundreds of thousands of customers and applying our ability, this will be you know, the, our wildest dream because eventually it can help with the same problem to masses of customers and expand. So all of that ecosystem of acquisitions, partnerships, technology alliances and all of that, I think drives a lot of business and I think should be a, a lot of the focus of a lot of companies that really want to grow rapidly. So how, would, how do you do that? <laughs> I know it sounds like huge and we need to simplify that, but eventually I think it boils down to a few pieces of device, okay? Start from, again, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a builder, even like a, the core team of a company, you need to first be sustainable by yourself, okay? The person that actually, uh, I would say, convinced me to do this thing is the closest person that I have today, my wife. 
Okay, so the basic bare bones of you building that with your own uh, family and being able to withstand that whole like huge journey, it's a marathon like people say, is super important for the resiliency of your company because you're in charge of that. You're responsible for building that and creating the relationships. Nobody else, okay? Of course, you have your management team, etc. So the basic bare bones of you, your own family, your own mental state of mind is the key of actually like succeeding to withstand this whole journey. And that's why I say to all of the people that I speak with, young entrepreneurs, or maybe even like new entrepreneurs, I would say that, I right. would say young. I think it's uh, also like something that is uh, a wide range of people that actually found companies. And the second would be actually connecting that to being outspoken, right? Right. You can create amazing technology, you can create a product that nobody eventually knows about. Do you think, how much of that is personality or how much of that is kind of, do you think there's a sense of courage to be outspoken? Um, we're not even talking even morally outspoken, which I think does take courage, but even about technology mm -hmm. or challenging things. Is that, a, is that come from courage? Does that come from experience? Where, where does that courage come from? And what advice would you give to younger entrepreneurs or those that are in tech, even if they're not, maybe they're mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, to be able to speak up about to speak yeah. I think it starts from a basic thing of being able to admit that you can make a mistake, okay? Not being afraid of doing mistakes because I think that the first initial hurdle of people like going outspoken is what happens if somebody proves me wrong. Right. Shame, right? Right. Or again, I'm not ashamed of like telling that I'm making mistakes. Like 95% of the decisions we make, I think, are like mistakes looking back. But eventually, this is the most concise and right decision at that type of point. And eventually, you kind of grow to understand that growing your business needs that whole process. Okay, it will happen. So embracing that ability, right? That's the experience portion that you spoke about, I think is key for success because eventually you will get so many no's, okay? Just to get that yes or maybe multiple yeses that will drive your business forward. And you need to withstand that. So as long as you can understand that you can make mistakes, okay, receiving and embracing the no's because you will get a ton, everything is easy peasy and everything passes. And if every no actually drives you down, you will morally and even like psychologically be so worn out that you won't be able to actually like How can you take, take a no? So can you give me an example of a no you've received? Yes. And how you've been able to channel that into positive energy? That's like on daily basis. Every no you analyze, it's something mentally also that they train us in the military of how you can improve yourself, right. what went wrong, okay? Taking, debriefing yourself and the whole team of why not making the same mistake, okay? Making a mistake is not uh, something to be ashamed of. Right, okay? we're, we're making mistakes making all the, the same. Making the same mistake twice, Right. it's also right now, you Should can one, make that three we, times, it's shame on you. I agree. Should one be ashamed to be scared to make mistakes? I think being scared is a matter of like experience and how you actually take that, okay? And especially when you, like in the military, when you're super young, like 18 years old, and you might have a high-ranking executive or like executive meaning like, you know, high-ranked officer that screams at your shoulder because your platform is not working and you need to withstand that and actually fix things to make things work to save lives. Okay, reflecting that to the private sector, everything is much easier because right now it's not something that is dangerous, right? Uh -huh. And you already did that when you were like 19 or 20, right. so it's easy. So being able to, learning to do that from the army, 
to take nose, basically like mug it for all of its value, yeah. learn, that takes a sense of resilience. It builds resilience. Right. And so uh, right now, businesses need that in particular. One, tech companies globally, given the economy and inflation. Right. And now, Israeli companies in particular during a, a war. Yep. Um, what would your advice be or what are your thoughts about being able to push through and gr or rather grow through the resilience? So I think firstly would be mapping, understanding what are your weaknesses and how we can improve. Then afterwards, going for help. Like literally, we can solve all of the problems. We can identify the weaker points and ask that community that we spoke about for help. Everybody are super helpful. And especially they understand that it's both on the fundraising portion or maybe even no like growing your potential uh, opportunities meaning customers wise that also drives business and yields money and also solving problems of people that are in distress right now okay either people that lost loved ones people that actually their like loved ones are serving right now and fighting for good okay so again you need to kind of like take that as a community and try to help each other to Grow out of it, like you said, and unfortunately, a lot of good companies also will die. Okay, I know it's sad to say, but you have to face reality. And eventually, we as a community, we as a nation, will fight the war against evil. And I know it sounds huge, and we will win. And so, let's go talk about those companies that are going to die for a second, mm -hmm. right? Um, what I find in in the Israeli tech industry is that it's actually not a death. It's like a, a, a rebirth and almost right. from like from a higher place and they end up doing much better. Um, so for those that fail or those that companies that were doing good work but died because of the economic circumstances, their burn rates, they, they mm -hmm. weren't, mm -hmm. when they were able to raise money, you know, et cetera, all kinds of challenges and the war, they may have a lot of people in the reserves. They can know a lot of people here at Panerais do. Um, what, what advice would you give to them so they can learn from those mistakes, from that they can pivot, take that loss and turn it around for more victory. Uh, so it's exactly goes back and combines to the whole like taking the no and making it something positive. So eventually ending up of analyzing. And again, sometimes it's not up to them. Okay. Like it happened during COVID when the travel industry went down because nobody was traveling. Right. You don't have anything to do besides if you have runway to withstand that. Okay. Right. Uh, but but again, I'm looking on the complete failure because something happened. Take that, build something that is stronger. Maybe be a part of something and take that ability and expertise that you've learned, combine that to the community and take another ability to apply it on. So I think that whole like mindset won't be looking back and crying why I failed. Okay, it's looking forward and how I can apply this ability and create more value in combination with others. Turning failure into victory is clearly what we see. Uh, Israel is going to come out of this war, and I think we're going to see a lot of other Israeli technology companies doing that. And we're seeing Panerais coming out for victory. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us thank on IsraelTech.com. Um, it was a great pleasure. Thank you. Very and much keep pleasure. up the great work. Continue helping building Israeli technology and Panerais and keeping the world safe. Am Israel Chai. Amen. Am Israel Chai.